Welcome to Pop On Leadership, a conversation between two friends who are obsessed with leadership development and helping people navigate their careers within organizations and also obsessed with pop culture. I'm Virginia Martinez. And my name's Kara Kirby. Together we have over 20 years of working inside of organizations and now we both work outside with companies all over the world helping them drive their people first practices. This is a very special episode of Pop On Leadership. It's our first bonus episode where we dive deep into one of the topics that we mentioned during our season. In this case, it's the Enneagram. We had the pleasure of sitting down with Sandhya Sudhkar, founder of Self at Work. She's a certified coach and Enneagram practitioner. She walks us through her backstory as well as the Enneagram framework. And of course, we do talk a little bit about Ted Lasso. Remember, you can find out more information on the Enneagraminstitute.com website. And this is linked in our episode notes. Enjoy. This is very exciting for us at Pop On Leadership because we have this is our first ever bonus episode, and yeah. one of the thi- I know woohoo um, one of the things that really inspired this was that we both nerd out. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why we reached out to you, but one of them was that we both nerd out on the Enneagram, and so we know enough, but we don't know everything, and so we definitely wanted to talk to someone. <laughs> that knows more than us. Um, yeah, we that. have we have all these points in the podcast where we're like, yeah, Enneagram, this could be this, but we don't really know, but we also love it. <laughs> yeah, we realized like maybe like we should actually bring an expert on to talk about this. So that's one of the things. But in getting to know um, your background and you were introduced to us by our dear friend, Sandeep, which this podcast probably would not be happening had he not given us the advice and guidance that he had. Um, There's a lot to love about your background. So I would just love to hear a little bit about, you know, I know what you're doing now, but tell us a little bit about like what brought you to this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, as any good kind of conversation on movies and TV goes, like we all have our own kind of character arcs, right? So <laughs> um, my story starts, I was um, the daughter of two Indian immigrants, grew up in Southern Indiana. Um, I was, I'm constantly running late and I'm always running late and I was running late to school almost every day. And I would take the shortcut through a cornfield to get to school. So, you know, just this kind of like interesting dynamic of like fitting in in Southern Indiana in a rural environment and having this other side of myself, of my family and my familial expectations and my culture and all of these things and kind of really trying to um, navigate all of that throughout my life. Um, I was always the the good kid, right? The one that got the good grades and was like driven and did their homework and behaved, at least from what my parents knew. And, you know, got a scholarship to go to business school and went to work for a big Fortune 50 company and kind of checked all those boxes of like, what is a good immigrant child supposed to be like? Um, and my own sense of like, what is it that I actually want and what do I care about hit me in my kind of early thirties. Um, and so I, you know, I had been kind of climbing the corporate ladder, doing all the things that I should be doing. And I got to a point where I was kind of like, what do I actually want? It took me probably another like five or six years to still decondition from the shoulds because I was interviewing for jobs, but it was all about like 
what's a good name to be on my resume, right? Like I have to uphold this like shiny yeah. um, version of, of what my career looks like, right? And what my life looks like. And so another kind of maybe turning point was in the middle of 2019, I had been through a couple of different acquisitions. I did a little bit of a career pivot for a couple of years into a new industry found myself really what I now know to be emotionally burned out, meaning I wasn't overworking. I wasn't exhausted. I didn't put myself into adrenal fatigue or any of those things. I just did not care about work. Mm. I didn't care about my job. I wasn't connected to the people that I worked with. And I've always been someone who loves to work. I, I love to achieve, right? I love to get things done, but I love to contribute. And so all of these things kind of left me a little empty. And so I took a sabbatical. I said, I'm going to quit my job. I have nothing lined up. I'm going to go travel the world. Um, and I think Virginia, the first time I met you, I was like, it is, it could not sound more cliche. Right. But I went to Bali and I just was doing things that I love to do. And you're that's where- loving. What? <laughs> You're E-Prey loving, which exactly. confession, I've never watched that movie or read the book, but we'll talk about that a different time. Yeah, but you went. Yeah, to- <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's basically it, right? It's like, I went to Bali and I found myself, but like, really what happened was I was with a group of people from all over the world and we were sharing talents and passions with each other. And I decided to do an Enneagram workshop because I had found so much insight about myself through this mm-hmm. framework. And so I did a workshop for like 20 people from all over the place. And the impact of that day on them and on me was so profound that I was like, there's something here. I need to go and figure out what I want to do with this tool. And so over time, my business has evolved quite a bit, um, filling in the gaps on some things. But for the most part, it's like, how do I help people bring more of who they are into what they do? And it's so rooted in my own story. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, um, I couldn't help but notice, right, that you named your company Self at Work. So you just mentioned, like, how do you, how do you kind of help people bring themselves to work? Like, I'm actually, like, I think that's a great name. I think it's also very telling about what you find important, but I'd love to hear it from you sort of why is that so important that to the point where you named your company about that yeah. notion? Yeah. And I, I think even when I named it, I probably didn't understand all of the layers of what, what that really looks like. Right. But, but it's really all about how can we be ourselves at work? How can we bring more of who we are into the work that we do less about what we're accomplishing and more about what we just mm-hmm. bring to the table and on top of that, we are each a self at work, right? I'm, I'm big on growth and development and learning about ourselves and, you know, quote unquote, working on ourselves, right? We're all kind of on this journey of like, just deconditioning from all the things that we're taught we need to be or should be or can't be. And so what I think about when I think about what does it take to be yourself at work is kind of like three uh, concentric circles of like self, social mm-hmm. and systems. And so mm-hmm. that's where the core of my work sits on how do we recognize what we bring up to the table naturally and, and lean into that versus kind of make ourselves wrong for that. 
How do we grow and build our self-awareness? How do we think about our relationships, right? The social, the connectedness, the communication, Mm -hmm. and then how do we create systems where everybody can actually bring themselves to work? And so we know that a lot of times we don't fully show up because parts of ourselves are not welcome in certain places, right? Or Mm -hmm. there's marginalization and oppression of certain types of people. And so how do we create those systems where everybody can feel valued and included and engaged and thrive? And so that's really how I think about my business, all three of those kind of buckets. I have a really interesting question for you. Um, So one of the things that I like to talk to people about in the leadership development world is this idea of kind of tossing aside these mental archetypes that we have when it comes to leadership. So even when on our podcast about Ted Lasso, one of the reasons why I think Ted Lasso has been so pervasive is because it's shown people the opposite leadership style of what they maybe not even knowingly have adopted throughout their life. Mm-hmm. So whenever you say bringing your full self to work, I'd love to hear your perspective of how you, because I would imagine that there's some of that in there, right? Like how do you ditch some of this crap that either society or even yourself has picked up along the way and lean into your true self? So I know that that's a big question, but I'd love to hear like more about how you help people do that. Oh, and I was going to build on this giant question, you know, just to really put you to the test is that... I also expect, you know, especially when you were sharing your backstory and a lot of that as a daughter of immigrants as well, I, I, a lot of it resonates in that when you tell people like bring your full self to work, like some people don't even know what that is because you've been conditioned for so long to what Kara is saying, like to live out this archetype or you have been so obsessed about like how other people view you that you don't even know what yourself is. Right. And so I imagine that there's something in that too, where you're helping people like ditch these archetypes and even figure out what their self is. It's yeah, it's absolutely all of that. And it's a place that I see my business evolving over time more and more that I have, I have a countless number of really amazing female friends that are in these executive positions and they are phenomenal humans. And some of them tell me that they've been told they need to work on their leadership presence, right? This is the thing I see rolling your eyes and I love it, Kara. (laughs) It's it's the thing that we're told, right? When we walk into that room, that conference room, Mm -hmm. that boardroom, that whatever, that room was built centering one specific type of people, right? One specific lifestyle, one specific approach to leadership. And it's, assertiveness or aggressiveness and quick thinking and bias for action and all of these things that we're told, like, you have to be confident, you have to be this, you have to be that, right? So in order to be a good executive, um, a lot of what I do and a lot of what I did as a manager, as a people manager in the first, you know, 15 years of my career was helping people see the potential and like who they are by being themselves and not by being what they thought they needed to be. And to your point, Virginia, it's like, sometimes we just lose sight of who we even are because we've been told so many things and adapted and adjusted and like 
put on this mask every time we go into work that we don't even know who we are anymore. And a lot of my kind of career coaching clients that come to me, come to me saying, I don't, I don't know. My boss asked me where I want to be in five years. And I don't know. I just do what I'm good at or what they tell me to do. And, or, you know, I, I'm lost in overthinking these things and just bringing them back to like, what do you bring to the table? Right. So this deconditioning process is super important. Um, one of the things, and I know we'll get really into the Enneagram here, but one of the things that I love about the Enneagram is that oftentimes the things that we need to work on the most that will help us um, feel confident or relate better with others are the, the dark side of our best qualities. Mm. And mm-hmm seeing that two sides of the same coin and helping people recognize where they have these strengths that they've maybe beat themselves up for over time or doubted themselves about, um, overthinking, you know, as an example, it's like the overthinking of, of a type six is the troubleshooting and scenario planning that's needed in so many roles. Right. And so there's just these these strengths that we can recognize if we do this deeper kind of self-awareness work. And it's really just about coming back to yourself and like feeling confident and being who you are. There's something else in what you're saying that reminds me of this. Um, We've talked about imposter syndrome a little bit where, again, a lot of us go through life conditioned to think we're experiencing imposter syndrome, but however, it's the systems that exist that make us feel like we don't belong. And then we start second guessing ourselves. Are there moments when you're like, yeah, it's actually the system. There's like, there, there are things now out of your control. Yeah. And, and honestly, um, this is one of the reasons why, aside from Enneagram being a very deep and meaningful personality framework and getting really deep into what your limiting beliefs to your unconscious commitments are, things like that, I, I became a trauma-informed coach because I want to work with people mm-hmm. who have been told or have told themselves that they can't fully show up. And and there is workplace trauma that comes along with that, right? There's, there's so many things that we can say about people with marginalized identities. Um, You know, I work with a lot of female leaders and they've, you know, there are female leaders who have a stronger personality type that have overcorrected over time. And now they doubt themselves all the time. And can I say this? Am I being too direct? Like what, you know, what can I say? And I have to get along well with people and I'm supposed to be a certain way. You know, there are, one of my good friends is a black female executive and she's like, I always need to have receipts for anything that I bring to the table. I need to have 10 times the backup that anyone else has because people are going to question my ideas. And I always need to show that Interesting. I've done the work and the due diligence more than anyone else. You know, and I mean, we're not going to solve this today and certainly not on this podcast, but it's, I mean, in some ways, okay, great. You've now figured out like I need 10 times as many receipts, but also how frustrating to constantly show up and know that there's this um, difference, right? To put it lightly. Um, 
that you are up against, even if you learn the mechanisms to navigate that scenario, knowing the scenario exists, is tiring. Yeah. And even, you know, when you think about the the framework of the room, right, the room that was built that because we don't fit in the room, we think we don't belong there. It's it's things like if you don't speak up in a meeting, you don't have good ideas. Right. These are some of the things that Enneagram helps shed Mm -hmm. light on of there are people who are more systemic thinkers and they take longer to process, but they're going to bring a better solution to the table if you let them have that, right? And so that's another thing, right? That can affect everybody equally, you know, no matter your kind of social identity. Um, But that is part of, I think, equity and making people feel engaged in their work is how do we start to think about how this room was designed by who it was designed and how do we start to break down those, Mm -hmm. those walls um, and, and recreate a room that actually is more inclusive. I talk about this all the time is that, you know, I I love that terminology is like, think about who the room was designed for leader leadership and inclusivity are actually not that difficult. You just have to start questioning why you do things the way that you're doing. Like even that notion of, Oh, well, if someone wants to get their idea across, they need to be the loudest person in the room. And if not, that's on them. Like, no, all you, like all you have to do to create more innovation inside an organization and make a place where people want to work is just stop doing that bullshit. Like all like, like design it differently, make it so that everyone writes down their ideas, that everyone has a moment where they think through, you know, like, this is how I would, this is how I would approach that situation. Like these are, it's, it's just so interesting how it can feel complex, but there's little things that you can do. They're so simple just by asking the question, why am I doing it this way in the first place? And, oh, is it 75 years old? Yeah. Does it, does it fit into work today? It probably does not So if the answer is no, then change it, get creative, do something different and your work will be so much better. Like it just, I don't know, which I think it's yeah. just, it's so amazing. I think, I think there's also something like, you know, we talk about this a lot. It's like, okay, well, why am I doing it this way? And what could I do differently to help level the playing field, right? And, you know, Kara, you and I talk a lot about like introverts versus extroverts, especially like in a, in, in a moment where you need to brainstorm or generate ideas and how do you create the space and design the meeting for that? But there's, there's something really interesting. And again, what is this rooted in? We, I mean, we know the answer, but this, why is it so difficult for people to say that leveling the playing field is okay? Why is it always like designed for the most cutthroat, competitive, outdated thing that only serves a very small percentage of people? And like somehow we've wrapped our heads around like, like, you know, survival of the fittest in corporate America. And that's right. But versus, okay, hold on a second. Like, how do we allow everyone to show up as themselves because it'll help me as a people manager get better ideas for my team. It'll help me as a people manager retain great talent. It'll help like, I don't know, that's like the shift we need to see where people are like open to designing for leveling the playing field. Yeah. And I think one of the things, you know, to to talk about leadership styles, right? And maybe why Ted Lasso is so kind of 
revolutionary is like, there's so many times you see him check his ego at the door. Mm-hmm. And in that, that so much of the Enneagram is ego related, right? It's like, how are we protecting ourselves? And if I thrive in a room where the fastest, loudest talker wins and has the best ideas and gets promoted the most, then why would I want to change it? Mm-hmm. And so it, it, because of the ego, because of protecting ourselves, right. And things, it just always comes back to like, how are we making ourselves safe in this world? And I think that's one of the things that's beautiful about any framework, but this one in, in, you know, especially is we each seek safety in different ways. And when we can start to connect those dots, we can start to say, oh, okay, uh, but I, I am safe. And so I can let this thing go or I can be curious or I can be open to a different way of doing things. We've touched on Enneagram a couple of times. We've mentioned that, you know, we are both nerds of it yet, but not experts. If you are meeting someone for the first time that's never heard of it, how do you describe the Enneagram? Yeah, so the Enneagram is a personality archetype framework. And the thing that is really different about the Enneagram is that it's less about the traits and the behaviors and more about the core motivations. And so there are nine different archetypes and each of these nine different archetypes has a different way of getting their needs met in the world. And the behaviors are simply a manifestation of those core motivations, fears, and desires. How do we exist in the world? How do we feel safe in the world? How do we get our needs met in the world? And then what do we do in order to do that? And so the thing about understanding the motivation, the why behind the what is that we can start to connect the dots and see how our behaviors are just a way of meeting that core motivation. Um, And so it helps us loosen, right? The objective of working with the Enneagram is how do we get out of our patterned reactive self and into our more free and open and curious responsive self? Awesome. Hey, can I ask everybody a question really quick? So Mm -hmm. since we are all nerds at the Enneagram, will y'all tell me um, what type you are and then what was your biggest aha moment whenever you, whenever you first learned it? I'm going to go last on this one. Okay. <laughs> Let me, okay, okay. Virginia, so, I can, okay. Do you have yours? Cause I could go first. So then it know, gives you a chance. Yeah, to yeah, think yeah. About no, it. no, I, I have, I have mine. I don't know if I have an aha moment, but, um, so I'm a, I'm a three achiever wing two and, um, And I think that makes sense. And I don't have an aha moment, but there's a question that I keep kind of chewing on is, is it nature or nurture for me? Was, were the conditions I was raised in, right? First generation, oldest daughter of immigrant parents. What led me to become that way? Or was I just sort of um, that way? And I I don't know. So I don't have an aha moment, but I do have... um, so I didn't answer your question, but <laughs> that's what I think a lot about with my Enneagram type. Where do you insight about yourself that you got through understanding your type? 
I think, well, you know, there's no shortage of like Enneagram meme accounts now on Instagram. So I feel like I'm learning a whole lot about myself. Um, it's always funny when they like um, cat or like they type uh, like a cast of a show and I'm like, oh, I didn't see myself as that character, but whatever. But I think the biggest aha moment for me is that or like insight is like even when stuff rubs other people the wrong way about a three it's something i'm really proud about like i you know like even in a, even if it annoys other people like oh i can't believe threes do this i'm like hell yeah i do that <laughs> hell yeah i'm gonna create a google spreadsheet to keep us all you know organized over this vacation you know <laughs> um so yeah, again, that's a little bit of an insight that like, which seems pretty typical for a three to be proud of the stuff that annoys other people, but um, a little bit. <laughs> when it helps get the job done, yes. <laughs> yes, when it helps get the job done, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so Dia, so if you're gonna go last, and 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 also let me put a pin in. Like, I would love to hear your um your answer to is it nature or nurture, which yeah. it's. The answer is probably both, but I'd love to hear your insights on that because I'm sure you answer it all the time. Um, I am a, I'm, we've talked about this a million times, but I'm a seven, I'm like a raging seven and I have like a, I have a wing of a three. And so, um, Sunday will tell us more about this here in a moment, but sevens are the, like the out of control extroverts that, you know, always see people around them and don't know how to stop talking. So <laughs> my biggest aha, when I learned about the Enneagram is, well, first of all, I, I love a continuum. So I love that this is who you are whenever you're taking care of yourself versus this is who you are whenever you're stressed and you're under distress. But what my biggest aha was that Enneagram sevens like to think in the future. So they're always thinking about what's going to happen in the future. And it, it made me realize that that's where my thought processes always like to go. I always like to think about like, in five years, I'm going to be doing this. And this is what's going to happen on this next vacation. Like I'm always in my head about like, what are all these grand plans that I want to do? Where do I want to travel? And, and, and it hinders me from living in the present. And that's where mm. I need to live is like, is being mindful in my day-to-day -day and how I live my life in my day-to-day. -day. And, and if I do that, I know I'm happier and I'm healthier, but it's a, it's a hard change to make. Yeah. Okay. So my first comment here, Kara, is that um, in, in the theory of Enneagram, right, you can do whatever you want in your life, but <laughs> you cannot be a seven with a three wing. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> seven can be your dominant type. A wing is always going to be the number on either side of your number. So you could have a six wing or an eight wing. Oh, Maybe it's an eight. Maybe it's an eight. And so, yeah, if you're finding a lot of the doing and the leadership and the impatience and the action orientation of like a three, it's probably that eight. Um, but if you're like a super planner preparer, nope. check all nope. the boxes. Okay. So then you could be a seven with an eight wing. Okay. Um, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and again, this is, this is why, okay. So the Enneagram is like this beautiful framework and it's so amazingly transformational and helpful. And there's a lot of bad information out there too. Mm. And so people often take a test online. They're like, you're yep. self-reporting about their traits. Right. And then they're like, oh, this is one, two, and three, you know, these are my top three types or whatever. I, I must, the top score is my dominant type. That's not always the case. 
because mm. tests can only test for our traits, our behaviors, our self-reported things. And oftentimes Interesting. the motivation behind that is unconscious. Wow, we should retake it, Kara. Yeah, totally. I might have my to mind, my mind is blown. Right? <laughs> I know. Like, what if like this whole time I'm secret six and I had no idea? I doubt it, but <laughs> there, there's definitely there's I would say what what I hear is like 46% or something accuracy on taking an online test Get and having your number one type. So what I recommend, and and then I'll get back to my type and the nature versus nurture, because all these are good things. Um, What I recommend is if you're going to take a test online, take your top three scores and read and reflect and observe Mm. yourself and try on a type one week at a time and see not only do you demonstrate those behaviors, do you relate to the reason why? Mm, do you mm. relate to the core motivation, the core fears, the core desires? And this is why when people say, when you found your type, you're, you're kind of generally thinking like, I don't want to be this type because it's so real and it sees mm-hmm. you really deeply and it can make you want to cringe sometimes <laughs> too. Interesting. We're going to, I think we're going to have to retake this. Yeah, absolutely. My mind is like (laughs) splattered all over the wall right now. 46%. My God, all these people going around just, who knows? Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, the meme accounts are fun, right? And they're they're fun. They're a fun expression, a creative expression of, of personality. And also people, they're only really based on behaviors, right? And there's, there's a lot of nuance lost. And so that's why I especially love doing this work in a one-on-one setting or in a small group setting, because I can actually speak to each leader or each team member one-on-one, help them understand their type. And then we can go into a group setting and say, what do you need from each other in order to thrive? Where might you be? holding yourself back from communicating a need or speaking up in a room where you might have a better idea or, um, you know, feeling like you can't bring this certain talent to the table because you feel like that's not what people expect of you or something, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the conversations that are like really deep and really meaningful and change the culture of a team. That is so interesting. Like, I, you know, it makes me think about how I'll run into people sometimes that are so blatantly introverted. Like they don't want to be around people They're They like to, you know, like they like to have just like a couple of friends and, and, and keep to themselves. And they really like think about their ideas before they bring them forward. And they'll tell me that they're an extrovert. <laughs> and I'm like, why, why, why do you feel compelled like it, it's because they have grown up with people telling them that being the life of the party and an extrovert is like what you need to do. And, and I'm like, that is, it's like, that is so straining to not be in touch with who you are just because you think that you're supposed to be a certain way. Like, like it's like extroversion or introversions is an example, but there's no right answer. It's just figuring out who you are and leaning into your strengths. Yeah. And it's, it's the reason why, um, and there are some amazing practitioners doing some amazing work, but like decolonizing the Enneagram too, where Mm -hmm. a lot of the things that we hear about a certain type 
are very biased toward, you know, a Western kind of like culture. And, and, and there are many, especially women of color who are mistyped early on and believe that they're a certain type, but they've been adapting or, you know, this nature nurture conversation is one that I'm so interested in. And it's one, why the, one of the reasons I think authentic leadership is so near and dear to my heart is that like, we have to get rid of so many layers first before we can get to authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Virginia, to your question, I think nature versus nurture, there's a lot of both that shows up based mm-hmm. on the, the theory of the Enneagram, right? The like most true sense of how it was developed and taught and all those things is you're born with this kind of innate thing mm-hmm. that then turns into type. And so the nature determines your Enneagram type. The nurture might push you farther into your type Mm. or add nuance to your type or affect what's called the dominant instinct, which is a whole nother layer of the Enneagram. Um, And so, or which wing you lean on Mm -hmm. might be affected a lot by the nurture as well. And so that's why typing again is really complex because I'll meet with somebody who is, yeah, an Asian immigrant, somebody like myself, where um, they've had a lot of familial and cultural expectations that they feel like they need to live up to that makes them appear kind of three-ish but really Mm -hmm. something else, you know? And so there's an adaptability and a flexibility to a three and fitting into different environments. But a lot of that can be conditioned by, Mm -hmm. I have to be one person with my family. I'm a different person with my friends and I'm a different person at work. And that adaptability comes with living in a culture that you didn't grow up in sometimes, you know? And so it is complex. Um, there's some of both included in the growth work that comes along with Enneagram, but you're born with one dominant type. That's, mm-hmm. that's how it's taught, right? For me, I try to hold this stuff kind of loosely because at the end of the day, whatever you can pull from a framework that helps you grow and helps you relate to people better and helps you be more compassionate and empathetic with yourself and with others I don't care if you know what your type is, you know, speaking, yeah, love, yeah, yeah. speaking our love language right now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my type is I'm a three with a two wing. Oh um, yeah. I know. I was like, I don't think I told you that before. So, <laughs> uh, but I, I actually, when I first, uh, got into the Enneagram, I thought I was a two and a lot of that. Tell was, us what a two is. Two is the giver or the helper, mm. very attuned to other people's needs, oftentimes forgetting their own, but then getting themselves to the point where they're meeting everyone else's needs so much that they're exhausted and become resentful when people don't do back what they would do for them. And so that pride of like, I know what you need better than you know, mm-hmm. I'm resentful when I'm doing things for you. And I ask <laughs> one thing, you can't do that for me. Like I was very much there because I was also in a very challenging time in a, in a romantic relationship as well. And so that two part of me was like coming out guns blazing And then after I got out of that relationship and I was, you know, doing my eat, pray, love thing and and like all of that, right. And reflecting on like, who am I at my core? 
I'm I'm a super type three. It's the success orientation. It's the achievement. Mm-hmm. It's the um, I'm I'm just solely focused on meeting and exceeding the expectations that other people have of me. I forget what I want, or I think I don't even have any emotions. I'm just moving right and going, and I get I'm fueled by being recognized and Mm -hmm. being admired and Mm -hmm. being validated and contributing, right. And being valuable to other people that drives me. And so it's an interesting thing with, you know, each of these core motivations, many other people would be like, oh, you're you're fueled by recognition. Like, of course, like, well, that's how I'm built. (laughs) So same girl, same. I get (laughs) I get the, re- I get the recognition part of it, but it's like meeting other people's expectations is like where I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> how freeing yeah. that must feel. <laughs> I was raised by hippies though. So like there were no expectations. It was like, find out what's in your soul. And I was like, um, I don't want to be poor anymore. <laughs> yeah. And so that also, so like a, a big event like that, right. Or a, a way that you had to adapt care of like, I don't have the resources to live or to get food or to buy clothes or, you know, whatever, like a really formative experience like that can push you into what's called the self-preservation instinct Mm -hmm. and it colors the type. So there's, there's actually really 27 types because it's nine types times three instincts and they all appear differently, which also is another reason typing is a complex thing. Um, but that is part of the, you know, the seven could be your nature and, and this self-preservation, this like, Oh yeah, I need to gather all the resources I can, um, can be part of the, the nurture. Mm-hmm. Wow. 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 This, I know my mind's blown. This is like so much deeper than we could have ever offered our audience. Um, Speaking of which, now you've mentioned you've watched Ted Lasso a couple times. No <laughs> pressure. We're not going to put you on the spot. However, give us your full synopsis and <laughs> analysis. <laughs> have you have you thought about like, you know, obviously, you know, you're going to chat with us. You know that we've been sort of taking each episode, um, the kind of play by play. But have you given some thought to the Enneagram types of the different characters on the show? I, I have, um, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's really funny because I, I love TV and movies and sometimes people will ask me about it later. And I'm like, yeah, I really like that. And they're like, what, what was it about? I'm like, I have no idea. Like I have this like little men yeah. in black thing where it's just like, and it like deletes everything. I know I enjoyed it. I know I whatever, but with Ted Lasso, I just, I I'm love so it. sorry to interrupt you on this, but I have to ask this question. Do you think that that is a common trait of a type three? <laughs> That's a really good question. I don't think so. I think that's just a personal. Okay. <laughs> because I remember all the details of certain things. Just TV is not one of them. And so I think because I use TV and movies to zone out Mm. and to turn off and part of the type three personality structure is um, performing and adapting to social situations. And so there's an element of me where like, I am truly an extrovert, but I thought for a long time I was an introvert because 
when I need to recharge, I want everybody out. I want alone time. I want to turn off my brain. I want to not have to beat anything to anybody. And so I've learned over time, I'm great recharging around a small group of people, right? Mm -hmm. People that Mm -hmm. I can be my true self with that are not going to judge me or, or that I perceive will judge me, right? It's usually not even the other people. It's my perception of what I think they, they need me to be positive and, and, you know, articulate and all of these things. And I just don't want to be that sometimes. (laughs) I want to be, you know, it's like the, sometimes you just want to, yeah, you just want to be a mess and that's okay. I, I, I think also as a, or as I think I am a three wing too, I am going to reassess and find out, but I, it's not, I don't want to make it seem like threes are fake, but what you were saying is like, they're very adaptable, right? And they adapt to the situation because they pride on themselves on being good in any situation. So that means adapting, right? So there is, and again, I'm not trying to make it seem like threes are fake, but there is a performative nature of interactions because you want to do the best job you can in that moment and so i totally hear you that when like you that that's exhausting so there's moments where like i can't perform i need to zone out i need to turn off i need to be like in a sensory deprivation chamber anyway so like i totally resonate okay so you were saying there are certain shows that you watch and will like remember that you enjoyed but not remember the details and then there's ted lasso yeah, I I love Ted Lasso and I have given this some thought, right? So there's both. Um, and I've watched it more than once, and which doesn't often happen. I don't usually watch shows more than once. But um, yeah, so Ted Lasso. Okay, so let's start with Ted. Uh, I firmly believe he is a type seven. Um, and again, okay, let me just caveat all of this, right? We we burn our own biases into these things. <laughs> I am observing somebody from the outside. I wouldn't type a real human. I would type someone on a fictional character, right? I wouldn't be like, definitely Ted, if I knew him in real life, you're a seven. And the reason why I think so is because the positivity, right? Mm-hmm. He is the most positive, optimistic person. Mm-hmm. There's this um charm and disarm element to a type seven where oh, I like that it's like the woo which type threes have too but like type sevens are like they know how to charm anybody and get people mm-hmm. to follow their leadership because they are so charismatic and the thing that like really locked it in for me was when as Ted's going through this divorce, right? I guess, spoiler alert, if you're not in, you know, seen both seasons, but like, um, as he's going through his divorce, right? The, that time when the team was traveling and he got the papers and he just went, like he turned into a completely different person, right? The, mm-hmm. the inability to deal with difficult emotions and even like with the, with going to therapy, right? He was like, mm-hmm. ah, like trying to joke, like joke it away, right? Good vibes only. And when they really got into it, he completely broke down. And that is really core to a type seven. And Kara said it before, right? It's like thinking about possibilities and optimism and the future and all these exciting things helps a type seven not be in the present, not be with the mundane, the difficult, definitely with sadness and grief. Those are 
outside, way outside of the comfort zone of a seven. And so you can see that in Ted Lasso. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm kind of proud of ourselves, Kara. We, we guessed that too, not with the level of expertise or sophistication that you have. <laughs> <laughs> we were like at a one. <laughs> We were like like, with our base level understanding. um, We also guessed that. Okay. Are there any other characters you've given some thought to? Yeah. So I think, um, I think Rebecca's an eight. I think Julia's a two. I think Mm. Jamie's a three. Who's a three? Jamie Tart. Jamie Tart's a three. Yeah. Yeah. An unhealthy three. And I think, (laughs) I think Roy is an eight also. Roy is an eight. Mm. Yeah, tell yeah. us what an eight, eight is. Tell yeah, us what tell an eight, what eight is because everyone loves a Roy. Yeah. So, and, and this is Roy and Rebecca, who are very different characters, but again, also male and female stereotypes, right? So mm, interesting. Um, the type eight is known as the challenger. Um, mm. Type eights are very direct. They are really kind of consumed by, like, a three is consumed by success and expectations of others and you know being all things to all people a type eight is consumed by strength and weakness how do i be strong and self-reliant in this world and not depend on anybody Mm. if i have weakness how do i cover that up really quickly or do something to control the situation in order to not feel that and so rebecca she is strong she's a powerhouse But her husband, you know, the premise of the show, right? Her husband made her feel very vulnerable and very weak. And so she went and took the one thing away from him that he really loved in the world, which was this team and their success and wanted to basically exert her power and control wherever she could because she felt weak and vulnerable with this divorce and all the things that he had done to her and that kind of stuff. And so you can see like, Type eights, I truly feel like they have oftentimes the biggest walls around them. Um, they're super protective of the people that are close to them, which you can see in Roy. Um, it's like they have this kind of mama, papa, bear thing going on, but it's a, a tight inner circle. Um, and yet I think they're like the ones that are the most soft and squishy on the inside. If you could actually get into it. Yeah. I'm married. I'm married to that person. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he, list, if he listens to this, he's like, don't put me in a box. And I'm like, that's a really eight thing to say. Yeah. And, and control. Yeah. So there's so many layers of the Enneagram too, but like control and power and autonomy mm-hmm. are like so core to all the body types, but eight, especially where do not control me. Do not try to control me. Do not tell me what to do. Do not infringe on my like autonomy. And when you do that, that's where anger comes from. And so Rebecca, even though she didn't express anger in this way of like, like Roy was like literally growls, right? Like (laughs) her expression of anger was I'm going to control everything I can control. And I'm going to show my power and my strength by hitting back really hard in a place that's really vulnerable mm. for her husband. And I'm going to take all that vulnerability and bury it as deep <laughs> down inside of me as I possibly can. Yeah. And even like, think about letting in Ted, right? Like mm-hmm. he was chipping away and charming and doing all this stuff. But like for the first, however many months 
she wouldn't even eat one of those cookies with him in her office. Cause she's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not letting you in. Not gonna succumb. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then later she started to like shed that a yeah. little bit, right? Rory on the other hand is like, you see the anger, right? You see the aggression, like he's got big energy and big feelings. And that comes along with the type eight too. Um, and he's super, super protective of the people around him. Amazing. 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 Okay. This was so great. Now I know you mentioned that you watch a bunch of TV shows that you may or may not remember. However, are there any that you're watching right now that you recommend? So I love succession. Oh, we thought about do we thought about doing uh, some some chatting on that show. Yeah, tell us more. It is like, and we won't go into like types of characters. <laughs> but Ooh, the one that'd thing be that fun. Interesting about like personality, right? And especially the way that um, the Enneagram works because it's so dynamic. It's like the healthy expression of your type or your personality. And the unhealthy expression of it, you can see unhealthy expressions of lots of things coming out in the characters on succession because that you're totally right. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Like they are all trying to find safety and like the dad, right? Logan is like, I think he's type eight, which we don't, again, it's like the strong, right? The walls, the, yeah. uh, I will not be vulnerable. I will not be weak. I will not let you kids take advantage of me or whatever, you know, right. And then the, all the kids are like, just trying to get control, security, validation from their dad. Recognition. Yeah. 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 And so you can see them all expressing it in different ways, but like talk about dysfunctional company culture dysfunctional mm-hmm. family dynamics and all of those things mixing into one big bowl. It's like a wild study in people, you know? What's fascinating about that show is it's like, it's a, it's a quote unquote family business, so to speak. And the, they seek all these things, safety, recognition, love, appreciation, opportunities, etc., from the boss slash their dad. But we've seen, I mean, all of us in our work have seen this play out where people seek that from their people manager or their boss or something mm-hmm. like that as well. It's just, it's also fascinating that it's their, it's their dad. <laughs> exactly. And what a like huge layer that adds to everything, right? Cause at our core, like all humans seek validation from their parents and mm-hmm. security from their parents. Right. And like, seek all of these things of just like how humans are built and I, we'll I, those. it's big. I heard this quote today and it, the other day and it said, you know, adults are just a bunch of like grown up like toddlers. Like that's all we are. <laughs> it totally, it, it's very true. Right. And I think that's part of our growth work over the course of our lives is to like recognize what our inner child is like screaming out for and figure out how to yeah. create that for ourselves with the Enneagram, you can kind of see how do we try to create that externally outside of ourselves and, and, and cope, right. When we're not able to kind of give it to ourselves. Amazing. Okay. If there were, okay. Second to last question here, but (laughs) if there is a TV character current or past, doesn't matter what, what time, but is there a TV character that you most relate to? 
Oh man. Um, this is a really good question. I guess one that comes to mind is Molly from Insecure. Oh, um, and I, and I think she's a type three, she might be type one, but definitely kind of the, um, you know, she's like got the good career and she's super, um, kind of, you know, she doesn't like to let people in exactly when it comes to mm-hmm. dating and things like that. Right. So I could see a lot of those things in my own, um, kind of story mm-hmm. over time of like, I want things to appear like I have everything under control. I don't want anyone to see me messy. Right. That's like what TV mm-hmm. is my go-to. It's like, <laughs> I want to show up and, and be this image that I want to portray. Um, and I think for her, she has a lot of that, but I just, I just love that character. I love that show period. Another great show and a great character as well. Yeah. Is she a three? I could see her as a three, but a one is interesting too, because she does have a little bit, I mean, she has a wonderful character arc throughout the seasons, but she has a little bit of, I told you so vibe. <laughs> like she kind of knows how she wants things done, which could be, um, and she's very organized. So yeah, I could see yeah, that. Yeah, totally. And there's an element of like, when she, you know, when she fights with Issa, it's like, grow up getting mm-hmm. together, <laughs> not playing the victim, right? Like I can totally see um, that in, in myself at times too, where it's mm-hmm. like, listen, I'm, I, I'm capable and figured it out and scrappy and why can't you do that? You know? So there's like a little mm-hmm. bit of that mentality too. So now I'm yeah. doing all my dirty laundry. Yeah. <laughs> no. You know what, you know what, something I think is interesting though, in relationships is, is that, we're sometimes attracted. I mean, we, you know, it's very trite. We're attracted to our opposites, but we're, we're attracted to the people that are, are different than us. And then sometimes our, our types get frustrated because they're different than us. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but you're the one that chose that person to fill the gaps in who you are. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just like a vicious cycle and you're like, wait, I caused this whole thing. I should give more (laughs) grace. (laughs) Yeah. And then we get mad when they can't read our minds and be like, why can't you love me the way that I want to be loved, even though I can't express my needs. (laughs) (laughs) And I failed to set the proper boundaries, but like, um, you should have known that. Yeah. Should I invite my husband into this conversation? So we just really kind of work. Yeah, y'all are on vacation. So you can really dive in deep right now. Um, This was so fun right here. I don't want to speak for you, but I'm looking at your face and you're just, yeah, yeah, this was so fun. Um, We learned so much. We could just go on and on and you've shared your wisdom with us. Um, So if folks want to one, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's first of all. And then second of all, if folks want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you do, any place you want to direct them? Yeah. Um, so my website is yourselfatwork.com. Um, and so you can kind of get an idea of, of the work that I do, especially with teams. And really, again, it kind of goes back to those like self-awareness, deep emotional intelligence work, but also creating systems where people can thrive. And that's the work I love to do the most. Um, you can find me on Instagram at self at work Sambia or on LinkedIn by my name. Well, thank you so much. And folks, please go get well assessed because here we are. Exactly. You could be part of the, what's the opposite of 46? What is it like 50? Yeah. Wait, 
54% (laughs) that are walking around with their wrong types, you know? So, okay. Thank you everybody. Um, And we'll bring you more of bonus episodes like this, diving deeper into topics that we love to explore. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we want to keep the conversation going. Share your leadership stories with us, whether they're dreams come true or some nightmares you want to talk through. You can visit us at poponleadership.com or over at Instagram at poponleadership. And a very special thanks to our friends and family who have supported us from the beginning and to Pam Rodriguez, who helped make this crazy dream a reality. Thank you. See you next time.